Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Startup Nightmares. Startup Nightmares is a podcast that aims to inspire those who work in the startup world to do the best work they can the best way possible while dodging some bullets doing so. Let's just be a bit more human here. All of these people started needing stuff from me. Don't feel like you're on your own because you're, you're never on your own. But I'm paying this person a good wage. Why isn't that enough? And that doesn't make me special. What is making me special is my deeper story. People need a sense of purpose to feel motivated in their job. Wake up at five in the morning and like go to the gym for an hour. Like, what the fuck is that? You're sitting at your desk crying and you're like, what happened? I had no idea how to monetize anything. I was like, ah, everybody gets a title. You get a title, you get a title. Either pay me or I will sue you. All of our guests have been to the dark side of the innovation ecosystem and came back to tell their tale. You can use this. This is how you get there. It is not a secret anymore. My name is Tal Shmueli, and I will be your host. Iris Yu, welcome Hi. to the show. Hi, Tal. <laughs> Who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Okay, so I'll start with like, the, the dry facts. Um, so I'm a third-time entrepreneur. I'm a CEO of a company called Oribi. We're creating um, some kind of a competition for Google Analytics or how to explore data in a fun way. Before that, I, uh, I founded two companies, very different. One was for architects and engineers and was very successful and acquired. Another successful company was for developers and DevOps. I'm a very much of like a product and marketing type of an entrepreneur. I really believe that having a good product means that the company can scale and everything should be around the product. And once you have a good product, everything else is easier. I think that's it. Any other questions that I forgot about? Yeah, I think the biggest one is, is why do you do it? You've already okay. sold the company. Mm-hmm. What is still left to pull? Where is the motivation coming from? There are some days that I'm not sure why I'm doing it. I have to say that for me, like the most exciting thing is to take a project and to see like how I build it and how uh, people are using it and uh, to really do like the route from like A to Z. That's what excites me the most. And I studied architecture and I think that the reason that uh, I didn't pursue with it is because uh, I felt that the progress is too slow. Because you, you design something, then it's being built after like four years. After people start using it, it takes another two years to understand what you've done wrong. 
And what really excites me about building uh, products and companies is uh, the fast uh, feedback loop. Uh, that's also why I love marketing so much. But, but we really like to, to solve the challenge of having a problem, how to solve it. It can be like very small problems, but also large problems. Even though you are a mother of two and a founder, you still spend a lot of time giving back. How does that fit into your already busy schedule? What do you get out of it? So I do have to say that during like the last, uh, I think like two years, I'm, I'm doing less of it. And mainly because I have like no personal life and with like the, the kids and the startup. But, but I do feel that uh, one thing that I really, really love about this ecosystem is how is the generosity of people, how much they help to share the knowledge. I feel that every time I have a problem and I approach someone else in the industry, like 99% of the times they're really willing to help. If they're not willing to help, it's not because they don't want to help. It's because they don't have the right knowledge or they're unable to share from different reasons. And that's something like uh, really amazing to, to actually like, Something that I really try to do is to always find the right people to approach uh, and not to take the passive approach of let me introduce you to someone. So I think, let's say, for example, we're trying to improve our sales funnel. So instead of just like asking my VP sales, so, okay, so who do you know? Or let's speak with some of our friends is to really, really pinpoint the, the right people that probably face the, the same problem. And these are usually people that are not my friends. They don't know me. They are harder to get to, uh, but they're usually very cooperative. So I think that's one important lesson of when you want to learn from other people, when you need help, uh, don't try your like, closest circle or even like the second circle. Just try to approach the people that will really help you and that are the most suitable for what you're looking for. So the characteristic would be people who have faced a similar problem. Yeah. And... Another thing that comes across in your writing is, I don't want to say extreme transparency, but very transparent. Like when you write about a topic, you bring people into, into the, you know, under the hood. Yeah, you talk about the difficulties, if it's redundancies, if it's pivots, if it's a product that's not really as sticky as it was supposed to be. Where did you get the courage to speak so openly about topics that others would keep, you know, under folds? If we discuss the ecosystem and, and how generous people are about sharing, when you speak with peers about like product and marketing and sales and development and everything, everybody are willing to, to share everything. So let's say, for example, if I'm facing a problem with uh, the customer success and I'll speak with another company, they'll probably share all the, all the challenges that they faced. But when entrepreneurs speak with other entrepreneurs, I think that they're so worried about exposing any vulnerability. It's amazing to see that when entrepreneurs meet other entrepreneurs, it's always how, it's, how you're doing amazing. And, and probably like 90% of them are... Amazing is like five minutes of your day. The rest of it is, is yeah, usually not. Yeah, and we're always struggling. And no one is going to say, well, I had a rough uh, month or I'm really struggling or I think that I need to pivot or I can't raise uh, money. Or I don't know what to do next. Yeah. Or I'm not even sure why I keep doing this. Yeah. And I think that we're so worried because we are always like in this race of raising money and uh, raising new talents and... That we, we all think that like we need to to say that everything is amazing. So for me, it was very important to to really share how it looks like. And, and there are some parts that are amazing, and there are some uh, there are times that we're doing very well. But there are also like the tough times, and there are also things that I'm uncertain about. 
let's say even for example, like I was asked during the, the last month about three or four times to write about how uh, COVID-19 is changing the way people work. And I thought like, I have no idea. We're just like at the beginning, I can say that everybody works from home. That's about it. So I can't like share my tips about how to, to change the environment. So it's really about the honesty of what we know, what we don't know, how we face things. Um, but yeah, so that's something that was very important for me just to just to show like the, the real life of entrepreneurs. And it can be something very technical, just like how to build a landing page, but also to speak about how to measure it right. What you do when you don't have tons of traffic? What do you do when you're not sure how to get resources for it? So yeah, so that, that's the motivation behind it. Did you ever have to pay a price for your vulnerability? Did it ever fire back in a way? I think it's very interesting, like the connection between entrepreneurs and VCs. I think that they're so worried about each other and to show vulnerability. So it's always like when you, when you speak with VCs, they will always tell you just about their amazing portfolio companies. I think everybody is so busy like showing off that it's really hard to make like a real conversation. So I think that with some VCs, I do feel it a bit like, for example, about a long time ago when I, when I laid off some employees, I really shared the entire process. And uh, I heard some voices that told me, like, you shouldn't share it. It will, it will damage your company. I do feel that uh, one thing that I'm very certain about is that when I expose my, my voice and I, like the, I believe I'm able to attract the right people. So the way I think of it is that some people might think, okay, I don't want to join this, pro- this company. They have some problems or uh, they're unable to, um, uh, to work on this challenge. Uh, but these are exactly the people that I don't want to join to the company. So I think that like, for me, I'm, I'm trying to put everything in the open of like who I am, what the company is, what our value are values are in order to attract the right talents and uh, partners and uh, investors and so on. If you only want to join a company that's going, you know, one way and that way is up, you know, you're, you're working for the wrong, uh, for the wrong segment of the, of the industry. I would add two things about it. That's something that's like transparency for me, mainly within the company. It's not because of the concept of transparency. It's because I really feel that my employees can do a better job when they really understand the full picture. So let's say, for example, that we released a feature and nobody used it. And then we try to like hide it a bit. And we say, okay, it was a great feature, but the adoption is still low. Uh, or we say, okay, so there was a mistake. We, we've done something wrong. If we worked on a feature for like two months and nobody uses it. And I think that when we say it out loud, then the developers can think when they're working on something, if people are going to use it. When the salespeople are speaking with prospects or customers, they can ask them more about features. So for me, transparency is actually a way for me to connect everyone to the business values and for them to better understand what they're working on. And another thing about uh, transparency and vulnerability, and that's also like a vulnerable thing to say, say that even though I share a lot on my blog and, and other places, I still feel that there are, there are lots of things that I do want to share and I'm still afraid to. I'm still worried that it might be too much for some people. I'm still worried that maybe people wouldn't like to come to work with me if, if I'm going to expose too much. And maybe because I think like the, the main conversation around startups is so around the success that it's really hard to, to share everything.
And I think something interesting that I feel about sharing challenging parts and failure is that I feel that with a startup ecosystem, but also in general, that it became something that is much more common, but you always need to wrap it with some success. So it's always about like, uh, I tried to do something I failed, but then I found something that works. So, and that's something that I also feel it like every time I read like Facebook posts. So I had a really bad day and like that, but at the end of this day, I managed to. And, and that's something that, that I think that it's also something that really impacts other people because sometimes we do have a shitty day, tremendous shitty day. It becomes a shitty week. And that's it. And you never solved anything. You never had like a aha moment because of it. It was just like a shitty week. The needle didn't move. Like... Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's also something that is important to share that like, yeah, I'm not there saying... are some failures that don't have any outcome. They don't change your life. You don't understand something big. You don't experience a huge yeah. success because of it. It's not I'm saying I'm quitting. I'm giving up. I'm going to be about it. No, it's just saying, This was a shitty day. That's it. Yeah. But you're so right. Like, you can tell a negative story as long as it has an happy end. And you know what? We don't have to paint it always in, in joyful, colorful you know, ways. It's like, shitty day. Okay, we move on. You approached your first startup with very little to none yeah. experience in, in startups. You studied architecture. Mm-hmm. What was, what was the process of setting up a startup without the, the backwind, without the ecosystem to support you, without your reputation and connections? Yeah, I think that, that lucky for me, I had no plan B back then. So I feel very lucky in a way that I left architecture school. I, I didn't have any like plan B to go back to high tech. I wasn't sure what to do with my life. So I think that during the rough times, um, it was always about like keep going because I had no alternative. We were completely clueless. And I think that the, the only thing that worked well for us is that we were able to keep a good pace with the mistakes. And I think that they see some entrepreneurs that uh, start a new company, they're clueless, it's okay. And then I meet them like a year later and they tell me, okay, so now we have like a very basic prototype. We met two investors and we worked for like three months on our deck and the P&L. And I think this is usually the problem because they will make all the mistakes, but the, the difference if you're going to make them in like two months or two years. And, and I think lucky for us, we, we were very much like out there. We met lots of investors. We understood what the problem is. We met customers. And we, we moved pretty quickly. So getting as many mistakes as possible in the shortest time possible. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like every time I meet like entrepreneurs, they tell me like, okay, so now we need... Uh, six weeks to work on the business plan or we need uh, three months to, to work on the design for the website. So that's something that like always, uh, <laughs> always gets me worried. I think it's just like making everything really fast, making a website in five days, meeting some investors. So it's been very, something about like um, being very light about it, not worry that you have to do everything perfect, not worry about the consequences of uh, meeting investors, of reaching out to different people. So I think this is like the main key and, and to really be very flexible and to learn from the mistakes and to, to know that you're starting with one idea and it might very well be that uh, you're going to change it in a few weeks. So to really like take in all the feedback that you think. Not, not listen to everyone, but understand if something is not working. 
I would say that if I were to start a new company today, even if I didn't have any experience, I would try to understand better. I think first of all, like one important question is to understand which kind of, which kind of company do you want? Do you want a unicorn? Do you want something that you can sell in like two or three years? And do you want it to be VC backed or not? And these are very important questions. Do, do you want like on the personal level to, to fly a lot? Or do you want to, like I know that one decision that they made with the is that they said like, okay, I want to start a family now. And they don't want to do like uh, enterprise sales and to be on plans. Uh, Go meeting rooms across the world. Yeah. So I think a good place to start is to understand what do you want. So reverse engineer the life you want to have and then realize, okay, if I want that type of a life, this is the type of company I can or should build. Yeah. What was the story of that company? That's Visual Tower we're talking yeah. about? Visual Tower was sold, if I'm not mistaken, for $25 million? Yeah. From Clueless to your first exit, how long did it take? Uh, not a lot, like uh, three and a half years. Three and a half years? Yeah. yeah. That is insane. Is that something you would try to replicate with your future companies or did you change how you go about building new companies now that you've had this experience yeah i think that um that the main the main issue is that in order to do it so fast you also need to settle on the price and that's also a good question because i think that's something that many entrepreneurs or young entrepreneurs uh, don't realize that it's in many cases in case of an exit of like 30 million or an exit of uh, 300 million it might be this entrepreneur got more or less the same so it can be and uh, and it might be that it took him like three years or ten years because so, for, for those who aren't as vested in 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 what happens to a startup every time you raise a round you give up part of your ownership yeah. over the company yeah. which means that when the company exits if it's being sold or then you get less of a return yeah so in many cases when when you hear about a very exciting exit of like uh half a billion it might be that the original founders have like 3%, 5%. That's something that is very common. And in some cases, when you sell a company for like 50 million, they do have like 20% or 30% of the company. I do, I do want to say that like with the Ruby, my vision is to build something bigger. So it's hard to do it in three or four years. It's brilliant. And it makes it all the more, uh, all the more um, interesting. Because when someone exits a company, the very often would want to get out of the line of fire, become an angel investor, you know, multiply their, multiply their, 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 their financials by sitting on the sidelines, if yeah. you will. And you went straight back into it. Yeah, I really love building stuff. So I think that like a question that I do have is which type of things do I want to build? Maybe it's not necessarily like something around tech, but I have to say that I don't see myself as an investor. For me, it's about like feeling things and building things and see how it works. And uh, also like as a CEO, I'm very close to to the product, to the design, to the marketing, to the processes themselves. So I think this is like the essence for me. If you allow me to be a little bit more nosy with regards to, to selling Visual Tau, how did your life change from before to after you've exited? Well, not too much. It's interesting that it took me some time to digest it. So I remember that like probably like six months after the exit, I still have had like one old couch at the living room and, and these kind of things. I think it did give me like the, the confidence to build 
bigger things, to be more confident about my unique way. I also feel it for me, like the main um, personal contribution about this entire journey is mainly like uh, some kind of uh, psychological treatment. Like really confronting all the failure, successes, weird uh, situation. So I think it's, for me, this is like the, the main thing about the journey. And there are some of it that, that I love, some things I really hate. Uh, but I really, I really feel that uh, I'm unable to stay at my comfort zone. And that's something that is uh, usually very good for me. Another question on, on that period in your life. Were you already married at that point? Which point? When selling Visual Tau? Oh, no, no, not yet. Because I'm wondering if, if the dynamics of a family change after something like that, all of a sudden from relatively anonymous to someone who's on the newspaper, very sought after, so many people are asking for your time. What toll would that have taken on, on your family life, on your domestic life? Well, back then I was uh, in a different relationship, but I didn't feel like, like a superstar or something like this. It's not, I think, like it's... It's not something maybe I was in a way for like for for the tech world, but but I didn't feel like it. I felt that like I'm only at the beginning. Unfortunately, I don't have very high esteem, self esteem. So I felt okay. So I've managed to to do something well, and now I need to to go through like more challenges and to build more stuff. Another part of an exit story, which is often forgotten, is that. The story doesn't end when the money hits the bank. Sometimes there is a lockdown period where you yeah. have to work for the purchasing company. Sometimes it means you have to let people go. So what was, what was the real end of that exit story? What happened after the company was bought? So actually, I think that for us, it was like a very good ending. We, I stayed with the company for two years. The um, company who bought yeah, Visual Tower. Yeah, um, very oh. interesting two years. For me, it was Auto like... Desk, a, right? Yeah. For me, it was um, a really good chance to understand the corporate life and uh, enterprise life. But it was much easier because I knew that I'm going to stay there only for two years. It was some kind of seeing everything from the side. And we really grew during this time. The product uh, done really well. So for me, it was a very, very interesting time. I want to stop on that for one second because from an entrepreneur, this was your company. You decided how it goes with money in the bank. All of a sudden, you're an employee. Yeah. Well, I didn't feel like it because since we were the first acquisition in Israel, we, we still managed the site ourselves. And then, so I didn't have this feeling. And, and also because what I mentioned that I knew that I'm going to be there for two years and that's it. So it never really got to me all the things of like, okay, so now you have a conference call of like 18 people and you need to be there even though you're not going to say anything. It was just like, it just like looked funny to me. So not all the time, but most of the time, because I knew it's just like something temporary. If I, if I would decided to like go up the ladder at Autodesk, probably things would, would have looked like the, like in a different way. So the company gets sold money's in the bank, then you have to give two years to the company who bought it to make sure that the, the merger is successful, the product is absorbed. It, like you get to continue to build it and, and see it come to fruition. And then comes a day, two years after, where you're like, I want to do something. I want to do something else. I want to go back to the, the first days of building a company. So you had to quit like every other person has to quit? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you sit your manager down and you tell her, listen, I'm quitting. Is this, is this the scenario? 
Uh, yeah, I see that we, we kind of like hinted them before that we're not going to uh, to stay over the like the, the two years period. But but yeah, it's... fair enough. Did you take any time off in between Autodesk and the next? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> If you're only listening, it's like no. no. Yeah, 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 no. Yeah, that was probably a mistake. Uh, <laughs> I think that after like two years at Autodesk, I was very much enthusiastic about starting the new company. Yeah, in hindsight, I would have taken some time. Yeah, you needed some time to recharge. And... Yeah, and, and also sometimes there's something about being an entrepreneur that you're always on duty. Even like a day after I gave birth, it's still like something that occupied my mind. And it's not about, I don't think that it's, it, I do think that it's healthy, that the CEO is not always there. The company should be able to, to work without uh, her or him. But, uh, but there is something that you, you feel that you're in charge of the company and you always have some kinds of goals that you need to, to accomplish. And uh, so I think it's, it's less about, I don't know, traveling to India for like three months or six months. It's, it's more about having some time without, without any obligations and without all the concerns. I want to speak about the ideas and where do they come from and do they come when you're stressed or when, you're, when, you're, when your head is cleared. So when you left Autodesk, did you already know what the next company is going to be like? Um, yeah, but that's actually something that my co-founder led. He had like a very sharp idea about like what we want to do. And uh, so it's actually something that came from him. When you're moving in between companies, especially after having a successful exit, One mistake I would imagine is that you take everything that worked in that company and you try and, and overlay it on the new company. But something tells me, <laughs> something in your eyes tells yeah. me like, yeah, no, this is not how, how it's going to work. So I, how I do you unlearn that... in between companies and take the good things and, and then adapt in a new situation? Yeah, it's interesting because I think that something that I felt, uh, I felt, but I also heard it from many other companies. is that uh, rather than taking what worked for you, I think that many entrepreneurs are more worried about avoiding things that didn't work for you. So I think it's, it's uh, like this fear of making the same mistakes again. It's something very misleading. And I meet very many entrepreneurs that tell me like, uh, okay, so I feel that with my previous company, we never had a good brand. So now from day one, I'm going to start working on my brand. Then I'm saying, okay, so what, what are your goals? I need to have in two years uh, 10 customers. So, and then I was like, so why brand is important? I'm not sure, but we didn't have one at the previous company. And that's also something that I felt, that I, I really try to avoid the mistakes rather than, uh, as in putting the spotlight on, uh, on what worked well. Yeah, so I think like with the Ribi, I felt that uh, like it's really important for me to, to create a great culture. And even so with the... previous company there was a good culture but it wasn't very like engineered or something that we, we built but uh, I was so worried that we won't have a good culture again or uh, so I put so much effort over there and I see that they really try to engineer it even though that it's something that is much more fluid and uh, it worked well even without all the, the hard work when people say culture when you say culture what do you mean I think that it's obvious that a startup is built on the human capital and the talents you bring to the startup. And for me, culture is like how to better frame the, the basic talent. So let's say that they have an amazing developer who joins uh, the company. But how do I really manage to 
get the motivation, the focus on the right things, to bring the best out of, uh, of these employees. So it's actually like the second layer on top of like the basic talents of, of people who join the company. Some people would mistake culture for the big um, graffiti on the walls and happy hours at the end of the week. Yeah. Obviously, that's very superficial. How does culture come across? How do you build culture? I do feel that there's something about the culture that is mainly coming from the managers and that is something that just happens. So for me, it's about transparency. It's about uh, building a good product. It's about being good-hearted. And it's not always possible, but I think this is like something that, uh, that is very important for me. And I really feel it with, uh, with the team that, uh, that they built. So for example, like I know that our developers are very product-oriented. Because they feel that that's something that I find interesting and they feel that they have a say. It's funny because like a few weeks ago, a new customer success um, joined the team and she joined one of the, of the developers' meetings. And she told me that she double-checked the calendar a few times to make sure that this is a dev team. So she told me that they're so passionate about the product and, and they had so many ideas and nobody talked about the, the R&D itself. She wasn't sure that she's at the right meeting. Um, and, and that's something that I love. I love them telling me that uh, this uh, UX is not very good and that maybe if we were developing this feature, we can also develop another feature that is related and so on. So, so these are things that I feel that are very much part of the culture of, uh, of Oribi. It's not something that I, I decided to create. It's something that happened because of, uh, of my character. One thing that I found fascinating and I wanted to steal from you and couldn't replicate is your approach to feedback. I remember I read an article saying that, you know, you sit down, it's the end of the week or something like that. And you have like three things I've done wrong and you want me to improve on. And I give you three things and you have this really quick back and forth to the point. Off you go. Is this still happening? No, but unfortunately <laughs> not. I think that it worked well. I think that's uh... I had like a personal shift during the last like two years uh, that I came to a place that I'm really focused on the product and marketing and, and less and more about like the processes within the company, like the sales flow, the CS flow, and less around managing. I tell like all the new employees that I hire that I know that right now I'm not a very good manager. And mainly because like lack of focus to, to it and they also like brought a better management system, it's a layer for, for them to manage. So I think that right now it's less of my, like, my focus, but it did work very well. And I do think that, uh, um, that getting like, immediate feedback is something that, that is crucial and that's something that we really try to do with the, with the product and sales. And something that I really love about Ruby is that uh, all the sales cycles and marketing cycles are very short. So, for example, right now with the COVID, that everything changes. We're able to understand, like, in two weeks, if we're changing the, the pricing, if it works or not. We're changing the entire flow and able to understand in a few days if it, it works or not. So, that's something that I find very important. So, this is where the professional feedback about a certain initiative blends with the personal feedback about how the job gets done. What did you find about those quick feedback loops? One thing that, that's on my mind is that sometimes the well-being, the kind of like the harmony in the company overtakes the mission of the company. 
Yeah, so I, I think that's one thing that, uh, like, one approach that I have is that I want to treat my employees like adults and not like children. And I think for them, they have, like, they have, like, the upside of it and the downside. But they really feel that, like, my role is not to keep them, is not to protect them, is not even to grow them. I do want to give them the right platform to grow, but I don't think that, like, this is... Uh, I'm not in charge of them. I feel that the, uh, we... In a way, we're at the same level, and it's okay for me to be upset one day, and it's always okay for me to have uh, different concerns. I see that people expect like the CEO to always have a filter of what uh, she or he are going through and the way they treat employees. I think of it as a different way, like, okay, so this is what I'm going through. Everything is out there, and it's okay for me to, like, not being nice, but I will tell you it's a shitty day. I'm not just going to uh, to stay away. Um, but also, like, I don't think that I need to do anything, like, to keep them at the company. I think that if they're good, they be able to do everything they like. And uh, I really like for them to have their own initiatives. And they really feel that, um, like, the, the employees that, uh, that they appreciate, and it's like most of my employees, they're able to bring so much of them into the company and they have so much uh, place to grow and to bring their creativity and, uh, and, and their way into the company. But it's not about me giving it to them. I always like, I, sometimes like I hear other people not within my company. It can happen as well, but I think that they're less loud about it, that they complain about them not getting, being promoted, not getting enough, uh, enough space for their creativity and so on. And I always feel like, you shouldn't get it. You should take it. It's very humble what you said about, you know, if they're, if they're very good, they can do whatever they want anyway. So there's nothing I can do to keep them. Like, it's not the company is working for them. They work for the company. And if it doesn't make sense for them for whatever reason, they don't like the direction. They don't like the managers. I mean, they're good. We hire them because they're good. They can go and, and land a different job. I can't change or cater for their, their whims and wishes all the time at all costs. Yeah, and uh, I think like the, the, the way I see it, it's... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I don't want to keep someone by uh, more money, pizzas, giving uh, him or her something that I don't believe that uh, they're at the right stage to do. Um, it's, it's more about giving them the freedom. If it's very important for them to, to earn more money, they can ask for it. But I don't want to, to pamper people and to, to always be worried about people leaving. And that's also something very important because I think that there are some key people within the company that I think that if they're going to leave, it's, it's will be like a, a major damage to the company. But I can't live my life being worried about them leaving. What else would you say is important for managers to understand about working in startups? Because you mentioned you purposely took a step back from management, brought in a layer of management to better look after the employees. So you, yeah. you recognize, you acknowledge that the importance of management. I would say that uh, the way I see management is, first of all, to be able to connect the employees to the, big, to the bigger picture. And to be able to explain to them what is the goal of their uh, of their work, I, I really hate it when people think of okay, so this week I need to work on this email, uh, create this video, and change this uh, landing page and uh, rather than understanding that we need to increase these kind of conversions because usually then you're unable to get a good uh, a good job. I think that something that is is very challenging with uh, management is that uh I feel that there are always parts that uh, you need to work on and to really say it out loud to, for the employee to know that uh, he or she are not good at X and to work on it. I also believe that there are some things that are just not part of like, who this person is. And that's okay to say, okay, so this like, uh, salesperson is not very well organized, but they have like, uh, amazing charisma. And I think that that's something that as a manager, we really, we really hate dealing with it. I think that's something that we, we, I do it a lot. And I think other managers as well is that we try to avoid it. Like we say, okay, so this person is not very well organized. So we won't give him anything related with, but we never really speak about it because we worry to speak about the negative things, especially things that we don't think that they are likely to change. And then we assume that we create damage for the, the employee and for the company. And it's always the thing that like the unspoken things, uh, they really create the damage because people feel that you're not happy with them about something, but you never really speak about it. And as I, as I mentioned, I do it as well because sometimes like I don't want to get to it and I have so much uh, on my shoulders and, and nobody wants to get to, to these corners, but I really think it's important to, to put things out there And to discuss them it's, and it's okay to say like you're not very good in them in ordering stuff let's think how to how to overcome it and how to face this challenge when you're stretched when you're overworked when there's a lot of you on your shoulders communicating clearly is so hard it takes yeah. a lot of intent if I want to deliver a piece of complicated feedback like the setting need to be right I need to really think about the words I'm using if I use ignore instead of avoid the What does it mean? How does that come across? And sometimes when you're moving fast, when you're busy, you can't carve out the, the attention spent to do it well. And I think that's part of, of where the collateral damage of innovation comes across. Because if this was a corporation, 
then you couldn't you wouldn't get away with it there'd be a performance review you get a chance to do it there's a template the person will see the feedback before and then you get to talk about it yeah. it's all very structured what would you take from from the corporate world in in that aspect of delivering feedback of coaching and what would you say should stay very lean nimble ugly direct to the point I would say everything should stay ugly to the point. <laughs> But I do think that there should be much more thought about everything. So I, I don't think the processes is something that works well for me. If we were talking about like avoiding knowing, I, I'm not like a very process-oriented uh, person. Let's say, for example, that some of our VPs at Uribe, they brought like more processes. So we have like a, a weekly all hands and we have like a monthly update conversations and this kind of thing that we didn't have before. Uh, but I would say that I think that many times it doesn't work. So for example, right now we felt that like the all hands is something that is very passive. We say, okay, so this uh, week we had like this number of new deals and with marketing. And just like this week, we discussed that maybe we should just have a, a game with the entire company or something else. So I think it's, it's more about like being aware of what's working, what doesn't work and processes can work. I'm not against it. I'm just like, it's not something that, that is very natural to me. As a manager, I'm sometimes very careful with what I'm able to say to my employees, to my teams. I'm always looking after their feelings. I would sometimes avoid harsh yeah. feedback because I don't want to, you know, break their hearts, hurt their feelings. I feel the same and I do it as well. Um, and I see that I'm also like, I'm very worried about hurting people. Um, you take responsibility over other people's feelings. Yeah. And also for other people's actions, sometimes I feel that they didn't do a good enough job because they didn't explain it well. They, they don't have enough time and so on. But, but I think that probably like the right answer is that I always like think of how I would like people to treat me. So I would, I would love to get the harsh feedback in a, in a nice way, but I would love to know everything. That, like something that I always feel is that I don't get enough feedback from my employees. And I think that they're also careful about me. They also feel that they have so much on my shoulders. I'm so busy that they can't really judge me, but they really want to, to hear everything. Maybe I'm not going to change everything, but they want to hear it. Well, there's such a fine balance because when, when you know, your employees' time with you is very limited. They get what? An hour a week, if they're an important VP at the height of a... No, they get more. We get still, more? Yeah, we're still a small company, but, but yeah, but it's not like... Um, and by the way, I feel it more these days with like the remote work that they're always like... Even if it's something spontaneous and we just like have a Zoom call, but we speak about something. It's not about like having a coffee with them and hearing like how they're doing. Spontaneous communication. Yeah. yeah. That's something that I really miss. As someone who reported to a CEO, I wanted our... conversations to be the best part of his day i hated coming in with additional problems or feedback to someone who already i know is stressed and is busy when he was like listen i need that feedback help me with that feedback i think i took it to the other extreme of like this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong like how do you get that balance as a as a ceo or founder how do you ask for feedback without creating a, a situation where it's overwhelming or that you don't want to hear from that person because every time you speak with them, they've got feedback for you. I don't have a good answer for it. I think that it's very much about like trying to be at the same level. So it's also okay for me to tell you like, okay, I don't want to hear this stuff. I do want to hear more of this stuff. Yeah. And they also feel that like in many cases, like 
I don't need to hear the, the like the, the feedback and the process. And there are so many times that I feel that people are asking me to approve certain things or to be part of the process. And I don't want to be part of it because I, I really trust them and I know that they're going to do a good job at it. Or there are some places that I don't feel that I, I have much of added value, but I still feel that they want me to be part of the process. They want your validation. They want your yeah. attention. They want to feel like they're, they're being seen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. And I think, I think you said it nicely. Like, listen, I don't want to hear that right now. You know, let's keep it. We'll have, we'll, we'll make special time for feedback. But right now, like, if it's mission critical, tell me. If it's not, we'll find the right time and the right context to yeah. speak about it. I would say that something that uh, I kind of miss is uh, to have more uh, feedback that I write. I feel that for me, it works much better. It's also a place that I can highlight the, the good parts better. Because when you sit with someone, you can say, okay, so you really like you achieved the great but what you won't say like i'm excited every time you you tell me about your new ideas so it's also really hard to to expose like all the good parts i feel like a few months ago when we reached a, a very important milestone i wrote like a personal letter to each one of the employees and uh, it took me like a few hours but uh, i wrote to each one of them in handwriting like what are the things that i, I appreciate most about them And, and that's something that I feel that I would like to do more of because, and I feel about it, bad about it that I see this like with most of my employees, it's very rare that we get to a point that I give them all the right compliments and all the positive feedback. And if I had like even like once a month to write them something very short, uh, it would work better for me. I love it. Yeah, it's just about the feeling of, of being seen. I think this is so important. And I think that one... One thing that they always feel for me and for and they also see it with other managers is that you always focus on the employees that don't perform well, and it's always like you feel that you have like the good kids and they, they know that they're amazing and you give them all the freedom and all the budget but but you never tell them like how amazing they are yeah so. the, the the squeaky wheel gets the grease yeah, so they occupy much of the conversation the the complicated harder employees I think last questions for me. One is, how do you look after yourself? How do you get mentorship and coaching? Who do you speak to when you're having a bad day? I think it's also speaking with my, uh, um, with my colleagues and not necessarily always like with the VPs. I think that like, I, I usually share when, I'm, when I have like a shitty day or when I feel that we're... I, I decided that something that's important that I, do for, I, will, I want to do for myself is not to hide my feelings. And I think that now that they're so used to it, they, they don't take it seriously. <laughs> you know that like every other day there's something else that I'm worried of. So it's not something that shaken them. I would say that like for me, the last couple of years were very challenging because I'm like, I'm a sole entrepreneur. I have two young children. I don't have much time for myself. I do try every month or every other month to go by myself to a few days in the desert or somewhere in nature. I call it like a work vacation. And that's usually for me time to really work on the deep things of like the roadmaps, the important features, uh, writing. I do feel that when I have like quiet time for deep work, it's worth so much and... Uh, It's very important for me not to take the, the big decisions for, between one meeting to the other one and to really take this time. And I think it's like my energy towards the company is really coming in waves. So I have some weeks that I'm like 
full attention, full energy, creating a lot. And there are some weeks that I'm like with more attention to, to the family. It doesn't mean that they don't work the same, the same time or like the same amount of hours. Uh, but I do feel that like the, the focus is, is not really there. And I'm trying to be less harsh about with myself and to, to really to understand that this is how it works. I also feel that like with my employees that it's enough that you have like two great hours a day. You don't need like 10 hours a day. I won't say that they can work like two hours a day, but it's mainly about the focus. I'm trying to ask myself many times, is this really important? Like do we really need to attend this meeting? As I mentioned, I do try to take these breaks of being by myself and uh, in nature. I am going to some workshops and uh, more like alternative spiritual uh, uh, part. But yeah, it's also about understanding what I don't like and uh, delegating it to other people. I'll try not to be greedy, but the more we speak, the more questions I have. One question is about hiring executives, VPs into the company as a founder. What is your thinking around that? These are tricky, expensive, fancy hires. These are people who are already successful. How do you go about bringing a VP into the company? I would say that I don't think it's... Um, I, I do think a VP can be without like lots of experience. It's something that... I have like very different types of VPs. Some of them are very experienced. Some of them a position of like a team lead. Um, it is something that works. I think that it's mainly about their understanding about their um, liability to the company, but also about connecting it to the to the rest of the company. So something that they don't like, it, it's something that happened to me as well, but they don't like about other companies is that sales are just in charge of sales and marketing are just in charge of bringing leads. And the R&D are in charge of the features that uh, the product manager uh, told them to, to implement. So I see it in a very holistic way. And for me, it's very important for them, for them to, be, to be very business-oriented, to work well with, with other teams. One uh, sign that I always uh, see is something like a negative is that when I speak about something new or specific change, and do VPs take it to, to their team immediately? Like if I'm going to say, okay, so we're going to increase, decrease the budget. Um, are they going to ask first uh, how are we going to change this thing as a company? Or say, that, okay, will I need to fire someone? Will I need to, to change my budget? So they, they turn the story about them. Yeah, about them and about their team. So it's, it's more about the company and for them to understand that uh, even if your team is going to stay smaller, but the company is going to do well, then you're going to do well. I want to I wanna finish on Oribi. The company had had a, a roller coaster of a journey. You've had to make some redundancies. You were public about making the redundancies. And on the other hand, you've reached hundreds of customers without hiring a salesperson. So it's a very bipolar existence. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about, about the story of the company to date? So I would say that we, the interesting part is that we didn't have to lay off some of the employees. It was more about my feeling that we're not going in the right path. It's not like we tried to raise money and failed. And we were told by our investors. It was more about, like, for me, the most important thing is to feel that we, we see, like, the North Star and we go the right direction. And many times I feel that, okay, we're not there. 
and we're going after like a, a different direction and something is not right. And sometimes for me, it's about changing the, the people within the company. Sometimes it's about changing the product roadmap. Sometimes it's just about focusing on a, on a certain area. Um, right now we were doing very well and I think that uh, we had a very very meaningful year we for me the entire story of Uribe was about building right the product market fit and the marketing machines and scaling up and we managed to scale up and to, to see like the amazing results then COVID arrived we did reduce the marketing budget for like two three months so the graph was flat then we we saw that the number was still okay. These people are still buying the product. We started uh, increasing the marketing budget again. Now we're doing well again. Uh, but there's a lot of uncertainty about the market and uh, fundraising. Uh, do we want uh, to increase, increase the marketing budget even more? So I think that right now the, the company is doing well. The world is not doing so well. So they're all very much connected. It sounds like there's so much decision making in, in your day. You know, yeah. you know calling the shots not from a not from a not from a, a powerful or egotistical place from a place where you're best positioned to answer or to make some of these decisions you've done you've made them in the past do you have days where you know like okay this is a bad day for decision making how do you go how do you know when you're like okay i'm i'm not the version of iris i want to be you know i'll come back tomorrow yeah <laughs> i would say that i think that's one of my superpowers is to is to make quick decisions and I feel that even if there are the wrong decision, it's still it's still a good method for startups. And so I am able to to make like big decisions fast. But when I feel that uh, like everything looks black, and uh, I'm not a very optimist person, I'm always worried about something. But when I feel that like I'm very worried about something, I feel that everything like I have like a cloud going with me. And then I try not to take any decisions because I don't want them. I don't want to make any decision coming from fear. Iris, what a journey, what a ride. I can't thank you enough for sharing all of your wisdom with us. It's been an absolute masterclass. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Where should people go to learn more about you and your work? So I have my own blog. Um, most of it is in Hebrew. Some of it is uh, in English. In English, it's uh, irishsure.com. Um, the Hebrew blog is called the uh, Startupico. I don't update it often, but when I write it, it is something that I feel it's like uh, these are like deep posts uh, about uh, very important topics. Yeah, that's about it. Thank you so, so much for coming to the show. Yeah. We'll let you on uh, with your day to go and kick ass. Appreciate you coming here. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.